You're listening to the Hard Men Podcast, reclaiming biblical masculinity in a world of softness. In First Chronicles, the story of an epic battle is recounted. It's the kind of battle that centrally defines the masculine heart. It's not just a battle, but it represents the battle. It is the prototypical archetypal conflict that every man must face and, stranger still, deep in his core, it is the battle that man longs to face. He longs to be a part of it. Man knows deep in his bones that he was made for this particular fight. He may run from it or he may embrace it, but this battle is his ultimate telos, his reason for existing, his transcendent path to a meaningful life. It is the hero's journey. If he runs from it, he will be haunted with regret all of his days. If he rises triumphantly to face the day of this battle, he will bear the weight of glory forever. The stakes are high. A man longs for this battle because he's hardwired to revere and strive for heroism. Heroes don't exist without battles, both in real time and archetypal. The definition of the hero, by the way, is an illustrious man from Latin and from the Greek, a defender, a protector, or a demigod. As Michael Walsh says in his book, Last Stands, quote, from the dawn of recorded history, men have felt the need the obligation to take up arms against an enemy and fight for what they believe in, end quote. So what is this battle par excellence, this archetypal battle for the hero's soul that we've been talking about? What is it like? What are its characteristics? Let us begin with the manifestation we have of this type of epic battle found in 1 Chronicles 19. Joab was the commander of the armies of Israel under David at this time period. And they had an enemy, they had the Ammonites, who had resumed hostilities against King David, and they had hired mercenaries from Mesopotamia to oppose him. David was responding to the threat, and so he sent Joab and the mighty men, who we read about early in First Chronicles, to Medabah. The scene was set, and just outside the city in the open country, the armies were set to square off. Now, after the fighting began, Joab came to a key realization. His troops were completely surrounded on all sides by the enemy. And we are told in verse 10 that Joab saw that the battle was set against him, both in front and in the rear. One of the key emphasis of the Hard Men podcast is helping men rebuild their households, which in turn will help men rebuild Christendom. One of the key ways that I've found to do this is through family worship, which is an integral part of education within the home. A great new resource from Reformation Heritage Books is the Family Worship Bible Guide, which is definitely recommended. This is meant to go hand-in-hand with your Bible. The Family Worship Bible presents rich devotional thoughts on 1,189 chapters in the Bible including searching questions to help promote conversation and help you as a father lead in family worship in the home. This is a great resource from Reformation Heritage Books, and you can pick up your copy at heritagebooks.org. Again, that's heritagebooks.org. 
www.thehardcover.org. Great resource. You can get the hardcover for just $18, so I definitely encourage you to check that out. It has four editors for this book, including Dr. Joel Beakey, who has done a phenomenal job putting this together. Would definitely encourage you to check it out if you're a father, again, to help lead with family worship. This is a fantastic resource from Reformation Heritage Books. This brings us to the first characteristic of the archetypal hero's battle. It is a battle in which he is surrounded inescapably on all sides by the enemy. There is no walking away from this fight. It's daunting. Defeat seems imminent. But here's the thing that I'm saying. Every virtuous man longs for this moment. He's made for this moment. He's made to be tested in this moment. Man and boy alike, they dream of this moment. They crave it. They thirst for it with every fiber of their being. They need this feeling, this reality, this moment of testing and of being completely surrounded. They need the possibility of defeat, something that you can't fake. It's why boys play act the final three seconds on the clock in the driveway with the basketball hoop. They're play acting the game winning shot. They are Michael Jordan. The game is in their hands. Men long for these moments. It's why we desperately love to read about Thermopylae and the 300, or we love to read about the Battle of Helm's Deep. We long ourselves to be part of those epic battles. When you're up against it, you're surrounded. Defeat seems sure. Why? Well, because man in particular and masculinity in general was made by God for these moments. This is what masculinity is for. This is the reason a man exists, to really be up against it, to have the deck stacked against him, to be outmatched as the underdog, down to his last Hail Mary with a second on the clock, making his last stand. This is what men are for, yet in all of it, man refuses to yield. Until man is brought to the crucible of such a crushing, inescapable, push him to the very brink of his own existence, enemy on all sides type of experience, he cannot display his true virtue, his manhood, his true worth. Without the crucible of such battles, heroes don't exist. While serving in the Mexican-American War, Stonewall Jackson was known for trying to get as near the fighting as he could. Some men run from the battle, Stonewall Jackson ran to it. He would volunteer to serve under men whom he knew to be always in the action. He longed for an avenue in battle by which he would distinguish himself as a soldier. Later, after the war was over, he was asked by one of his family members about his heroic deeds and whether or not he was ever afraid in battle. And Jackson said, I was afraid the fighting would not be hot enough for me to distinguish myself. This is the stuff of heroes and legends. It's the mystique of Jackson from Mexico to the Civil War. And it's about his ability to stay calm under intense fighting conditions. The battle for Mexico City saw cannonballs ripping through Jackson's coat and through his pants, and yet he stood his ground and refused to yield the battlefield. You see, without war, he wasn't Stonewall Jackson. He was just a normal man. But through war and the Battle of Manassas later, he became a legend. He became a hero. 
He was just an awkward guy who struggled to make the simplest of polite conversations in one world and in another world on the battlefield. He was a giant among men. What does a man do when he's at the hottest part of this archetypal battle surrounded on all sides? This is what men long to know about themselves. But what do men do normally? History tells us that the majority of men do not stick around to fight it out and to see what happens in battles like this. Typically speaking, they run. Maybe it's their marriage. Maybe it's a career choice. They run. They become deserters and they're left with an atrophied soul for the rest of their lives. Even lobsters who've lost fights, Jordan Peterson tells us, tend to back away from fights in the future. They cower. Instead of standing firm with shoulders back and head up, ready to face the next challenge, when they get defeated, what happens? They cower. They don't even show up for the next fight. So many men do this. You see, it's not our defeats that haunt us. It's our cowardice. It's not losing games. It's being a coward in the game. Why does it haunt us so? Because cowardice is the central betrayal of our manhood. Cowardice is the betrayal of what it means to be a man. You see, the word man comes from the Latin vir, which means courageous. The soul that sins against its own nature tends to shrink back forever. It is not worthy even to be called a man who shrinks back. And the guilt of his own cowardice banishes him to a lonely, cane-like, tormented exile. Right? This is the sentiment expressed in the St. Crispin's Day speech from Henry V. And gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves accursed they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap whilst any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's Day. What's he saying? Men who weren't here are going to curse themselves because they weren't here, like they have cheap manhood. But now you, you showed up for the battle. Right? The battle is what sets men apart. Holy, righteous, violent, glorious, heroic men long for the battle and for the test. These are the kind of men, on the other hand, when the battle comes, archetypal and in real time, they stiffen their spines, they rouse their manly essence, and they face the brandished steel of the enemy's full assault. They will not relinquish the field. They will not give in to the enemy. They march forward. No matter what the cost, no matter what the odds, they know when the time to fight is and they fight on. They will have the glory forever, whether in death or in victory. One of my favorite stories is Chesty Puller. He was one of the most decorated Marines in history, fought in World War II. And he said when he realized in one scenario the enemy had totally surrounded him, It's recorded for us. He said this to his men. He said, we're surrounded. That simplifies the problem. They're in front of us. They're behind us. And we are flanked on all sides by an enemy that outnumbers us 29 to 1. They can't get away now. Right? That's what heroic men say in these Joab-like battles. This is the archetypal battle. The fight for your life. Are you the kind of man that says... They can't get away now. We got them right where we want them. Here's my point. Men need to be surrounded by serious enemies. They need to feel the weight and the discomfort of being surrounded 
on all sides and praying to God like David did in those moments. God, deliver me. This is part of the hero's longing for the great battle. Men, you were made for this. This brings me to the second characteristic of the great battle. A man needs to fight side by side and back to back with other courageous men. When he realized that the battle was upon him, and I mean really upon him, life or death, it's about to end poorly for Israel's armies, Joab's first act was to gather the best of his men to himself. It was to organize among his mighty men a hierarchy, to select the best of the best, and to put them at the hottest part of the fighting right where he was, shoulder to shoulder and back to back. The best leaders don't select weak managerial types or rule-following sycophants or flunkies for such a battle as this. No, they find the mightiest of the mighty men, the most competent, the most courageous, the most proven in battle, men who've earned their fame through previous street fights. They stand back to back and shoulder to shoulder. There are few things in life more awe-inspiring, soul-transforming, or powerful than a gang of dangerous men perfectly united in their violent mission. What did he do next? Joab set Abishai, his brother, and other valiant, mighty men at his rear. You can imagine the scene. These mighty men, back to back and shoulder to shoulder, going up against the enemy, surrounded on all sides, their eyes not full of fear, but full of courage and the Holy Spirit. Not only do we as men need to face the frontal assault of the enemy, we need to feel the weight of that. You also need to feel the weight of men side by side, shoulder to shoulder, back to back, and be able to trust each other when the steel is being slung through the air. You're surrounded on all sides and you're fighting back to back with other men whom you trust and whom you love. The love of women does not compare to the love that men in battle have for one another. Men were made, hear me men, you were made for these kind of brawls. Joab's plain-spoken manly instructions cut right to the chase. He said this, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will help you. Verse 12. A man not only needs to be surrounded on all sides by the enemy fighting against him, but he also needs to be surrounded at exactly the same moment by courageous men fighting with him. This is what men need. We need to be surrounded on all sides by courageous competence. Billy Graham was right when he said this, Courage is contagious. When a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are often stiffened. Right? We need the accountability, the brotherhood, and the battle. Courage seems to be a group project. Again, back to Henry V. This story shall the good man teach his son, and Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world. But we in it shall be remembered, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be he ne'er so vile. This is where we get the idea of a band of brothers. We not only need enemies around us, we need courageous men to fight with, and then we will grow in our manly, heroic courage. 
The third marker of the great battle is that it pedestalizes and amplifies the core masculine virtues of strength, courage, and sacrifice. What Joab tells his mighty men is instructive. He says this, Be strong and let us use our strength for our people and for the cities of our God and may the Lord do what seems good to him. As we saw with the Latin vir, man literally means courage and strength. So when Joab tells his men to be strong and courageous, he's literally telling them, act like men. This moment is what you are for. Live up to your calling, your nature, your biology, and God's imprint upon your soul and your very being. Be men. So we see the first thing he calls them to be is strong. Men are supposed to be physically strong, which makes them violent, and it makes everyone in our culture, particularly the feminazis, extremely uncomfortable, but this is what men are for. They're afraid of violent men until there's a battle, and then they call them for defense and protection. Yes, violence is a virtue for men. The best of men have a tremendous capacity for extreme violence. The mighty men are the essence of this, and so is King David. But we also see that this strength is controlled. In other words, what Joab says is, use your strength for something. Your strength, men, is for something. Joab tells us exactly what this is. He says, let us use our strength for our people and for the cities of our God. Men are made to use their violent strength to defend their people, women, and children, and to promote the ongoing existence of their progeny. This is an essential longing of the masculine soul. It's what you were made for. It is central to our very reason for existence. This is what God made men for. We aren't meant to fight battles selfishly or even to exist for selfish ends. A man who lives for himself is not a man at all. He is merely a wild beast. A man exists for his people, his household, and his place. But notice also that men are not only protectors of their own households and lands, they are also protectors of a greater entity, what we might call a Christian nation. We are told to use our strength for the cities of our God, that is, for the kingdom and for Christendom. This is how men naturally align households, communities, and nations. This is what is visualized in the concept of a kingdom. Our strength is for all of Christendom, not the cities of man, but the cities of God. This means that some sense of nationalism and kingdom is unavoidable for the Christian man. It's wrapped up in the DNA of masculine men to defend it. Fourth, the key mark of the great battle is that it drives away the nice, well-behaved sort and calls heroic giant slayers to center stage. In World War II, after Pearl Harbor, Franklin Delano Roosevelt tapped Admiral Ernest King to be the chief naval officer in charge of fleet command. He would go on to be one of only four admirals in history to achieve five-star status, all of them appointed in World War II. A brilliant naval tactician and master of the battle on the high seas, King was less than savory, to put it mildly, at an individual level. He wasn't leading the church choir on Sundays. He is reported to have said, however, after the appointment to fleet command, when the shooting starts, they call for the sons of bitches. If you know your Old Testament history, well, newsflash, Joab, he was one of those sons of bitches. 
Yet in these great battles, you need a few on your side. When the great battles arrive and men are put to the test and heroes are called to the fore, the last thing you need is frail emo men with plastic glasses and skinny jeans and nuanced speech. You need Viking warlords. You need men like Joab, and you need men like Admiral Ernest King. Fifth, the great battle teaches us to press the enemy until we have achieved total victory. We may not always be on the offensive, but even when we retreat, we are already planning the next attack. Stonewall Jackson is a perfect example of this. Another is Marine Chesty Puller, who responded when he was asked if he was retreating, Retreat! Men, we're just attacking in a different direction. Back to Stonewall Jackson, one biographer put it well about him, saying that his genius was found in a theory of war strategy he developed from reading the Old Testament. He said of Jackson, quote, He thought in terms of unrelenting offensives and complete victory. End quote. So must we men think about cultural engagement. Even when we retreat, it's strategic so that we can plan our next offensive. The man of God is always on the attack. Our world has left a lot of men feeling like Edward Norton in Fight Club. We don't have a real purpose other than filling our empty apartment with crappy IKEA furniture. We live in masturbatory realities of easy access porn and fake wars and video games. As the narrator in Fight Club says, I don't want to die without any scars. Aimless, sad, depressing existences many men live today without scars and without battles to fight. There are no heroes and there are no dragons. As the movie Fight Club suggested, men do need a fight. What it got so horribly wrong, however, was that the fight isn't about an anarchist destruction of society or institutions that our fathers built. It's not about nihilism, materialism, or evolutionary theory. No, what we need as men is a battle royale, one that calls us to heroic masculine form alongside other valiant men for our people and for Christendom. We need to be surrounded on all sides. It's good for men to be surrounded by enemies, and yet closer still by brothers. It's good for us. We need to be tested to our absolute threshold of being, physically, mentally, and otherwise. We need heroic last stands. Fortunately, with society at peak dystopia, the good news is, men, there's plenty of good fights to be fought. So find your gang, find your battle, and men, be strong and courageous. For our people and for Christendom. Well, once again, thanks for listening to this episode of the Hard Men Podcast. If you're not yet a supporter of the show, hop on over to ericcon.com. You can become a supporter today for as little as $5 a month. You can also do that through Patreon. And again, we appreciate everyone who is supporting the show. We've had lots of new supporters the last month and a half. We're deeply appreciative of you guys. We'd also encourage you, if you haven't yet gone over to iTunes, leave a five-star review. Tell them how much you enjoy this show. That really helps us out. And by all means, subscribe. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. Until next time, stay frosty, fight the good fight, act like men. <laughs>